Welcome to CB Talks, a podcast from Silver Cloud Health, the leading global provider of evidence-based well-being and behavioral health solutions. I'm Dr. Jorge Palacios, Senior Digital Health Scientist, and I'll be your host as we explore the science of digital mental health. In each episode, I'm joined by leading mental health practitioners and advocates as we consider how the latest research can be used to empower those using its services. In today's episode, we'll be talking about men's mental health, the importance of opening up, talking, and listening, specifically getting men to talk, is a topic my guests are passionate about. Cormac and Daryl Noonan are better known as the Wolf Brothers, and together they've created the Wolf Brothers podcast to help men understand themselves better. They also focus on encouraging young people to express their emotions freely and help listeners connect to what they call their warrior spirit. And just to let you know, this episode does contain discussions on sensitive issues such as suicide, as well as strong language, which can be a part of necessary conversations such as this. When I caught up with Cormac and Daryl, they began by telling me of the journey which led them to start the Wolf Brothers Academy. For me, I suppose, doing this kind of work, um, working with young people, around health and wellness, um, connecting with themselves, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. The reason I'm doing it is because that's what changed my life, was when I finally sat with myself and faced some of the, some of the, the things I've been running, running away from since I was a teenager. Because as a teenager, that's when everything kind of changed for me. I was about 14. I was involved in an accident. It was a school bus crash. Uh, five girls died on the bus, one of them being a very close friend of mine. Um, I was one of only two people on the whole bus that wasn't physically injured. So I never wanted to complain. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff going on. I was yeah. trying to figure out why I was feeling so emotional all the time. And I really lost respect for life. I just haven't watched because a couple of the girls were sitting right in front of me and, and then they were just gone. So at that age, I was like, my, my train of thought anytime I th was, say, deciding whether something was a good or a bad idea, that would pop into my head and I would just do it anyway. I had no respect. I lost it for myself and for, for everyone. Um, and I never wanted to feel those bad emotions and I would bury them. And a year later, I started drinking alcohol. And that, to me, was like, I felt like I was after finding the pot of gold at the bottom of the rainbow. Do you know, like, I could, it gave me this false sense of happiness. Yeah. And I was like, I love this. And this false sense of confidence, too, to be someone else. I always had these ideas of who I wanted to be. And this alcohol was allowing me to, I felt it was allowing me to become this person. Yeah. Um, it was, it was an asshole, do you know? And like... I call my younger brother. We have another two younger brothers too, as well. Sorry. Um, so there's four of us, and we're all very close in age. And when I would come home drunk at the weekends, all that emotion I was holding in, that would come out. But it would come out as like anger, violence, destruction, and it was a horrible place for the boys to be. I would often fight physically with Cormac, with my father. I would break things. It was all that emotion I was suppressing just wanting to come out, but because I wasn't speaking about it, it was coming out in horrible ways. 
I ended up leaving the country, going to Australia at a very young age, just after I finished school. I spent three years there. Um, wasn't all bad, um, but I did get very heavily involved in drugs, which was making those binges a lot more destructive for me and the people around me. Uh, so I ended up running back to Ireland where I just, I felt that everything or everyone that got close to me was hurt in some way. Yeah. Um, and it was, I just felt like totally out of control. You know, I didn't feel like I had any control over my emotions or, or what I was doing. Mm. Um, and a number of horrible incidences happened after I got back from Australia and ended up leaving the country again and going to London. Um, big party scene over there, which a huge part of me loved, but I could never stop. The party would stop, but Daryl wouldn't stop. Like, I would sit in my room and I'd just keep going and keep going, like sniffing cocaine and drinking and whatever else it was, distracting myself. I've come to realize now, I'm, yes, I had an addiction to um, different mind-altering substances in that way, but I had an addiction just to distraction. It didn't matter if it was Netflix, girls, my phone, like whatever. It was yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, but it was about not facing. But it was all the inner. Yeah, it was all running away from. from yeah. Yeah. I, at that point in my life, I could not sit with myself for ten seconds. Yeah, not ten seconds. Now I walked. I went to the gym, but that routine, I break myself in everything I did. I was walking on the ground, on the tunnels, on a shovel, so I would break myself in there. I'd wreck myself in the gym and I'd pass out. And it was when that routine was gone, I didn't know what to do with myself. It was straight to getting out of my head because I hate being in it. Mm -hmm. And that landed me in a, new, a number of horrible places. I remember a girl say, saying to me, one of my friends over there, she actually found me passed out on the steps of a train station one day. Um, and she just said, Daryl, you're either going to end up in hospital, in prison, or dead if you don't change the way you're living. And within three weeks, two of those things happened. And she woke up in hospital in Dublin. My last memory, I was in England. I woke up attached to a lot of tubes. And two weeks later, I landed myself in prison, not even in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. Horrible situations I was getting myself into. And eventually I went into treatment, didn't work the first time, stayed in Ireland, went back to that party lifestyle, but it ended up that it was just me in a room by myself wallowing in my own misery for sometimes up to seven, eight days. I had no hope. And I was trying to, I was trying to kill myself with the alcohol. I was trying to drink enough so that I wouldn't wake up and I didn't have to do it anymore. When I was faced with that, my body was shutting down because I couldn't use, my brain was not connecting, my nervous system was not working. Um, I couldn't get myself to the toilet around that this, this particular week. And that's when I decided I wanted to change. So I went into treatment again, but with a different perspective. I was only thinking about myself, not about what everyone else was thinking about me. Just, I don't want to live like this anymore. And that was the first time I thought of myself. Before that, I'm like a lot of people are just trying to show everyone else something. That's when I, it was after that, I kind of got the idea for going around the schools and sharing my story with people. Uh, people that might be in the same situation I was in. And when I say that, I just mean struggling. Nothing in particular, just struggling. Because a lot of the tools and techniques I'd learned and I use now to this day still to look after myself and um, 
to optimize what I'm doing work-wise, sport-wise, whatever it is. They can be used regardless of what situation you're in because our situations are always going to be individual. Yeah, yeah. And there's no one thing for everyone, you know? So these, I just got the idea that this could help some people in schools. And when I rang Cormac to tell him my idea, we hadn't seen each other in years, he had actually had the same idea. I mean, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I will go back to that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, and you, like, I, I, I think it's, um, it's interesting, to say the least, that you say that you had your light bulb moment. But, you know, a lot of people don't have that or need help to get that. You might say you were lucky that you had that moment. But then um, before we, we move on, Cormac, like, you had this idea too. Did you have... Would you say not a parallel path, but you were going through your own things? Were they in any way related with watching your brother go through his struggles? Yeah, it's actually interesting. Like the more, as time goes on, the more I realize how similar our paths were, even though to the naked eye, they might look opposite. Mm -hmm. um, they're actually quite similar in many ways. There's lots of overlap. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of society's eyes, I maybe took like a more well-regarded path because I went to college, um, studied business and IT, got a really good job. So I was ticking all these boxes yeah. of what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. And I got into that job and I'd achieved this goal that I'd set for myself and I was miserable as soon as I got in there. I think for some reason I felt that if I achieve all these things, then I'll feel worthy of love. Obviously at the time I didn't know that's what I was looking for. Yeah. I just said, this is what I want to do. But really it was coming from a place of lack within myself. Yeah. So then when I finally did achieve that goal of getting that job, working in that big company, I, I still felt empty. It never filled the hole because I was trying to fill an internal hole with an external thing. And again, it's, I think there's a parallel there with, Daryl's story because he was trying to fill his internal hole with external things as well yeah. or distract himself. I was distracting myself by always achieving. I could never just be. I was always doing, doing, doing. And still to this day, I have to bring myself back and be like, you know, it's this habit that's been built into me over many years of like, you know, achieve. And I'm always coming back to like, you don't need to achieve anything, just be. Okay. I like, and it's okay to achieve things, but once it's not coming from that place of, I need this to feel good about myself. And um, so I'm always conscious of anything I'm doing now. Is it, is it coming from a place of love rather than fear? Or well, I think that there is like a lots of similarities in the two of us. And for me, I think it's, it's a core thing for most people is just not feeling good enough or not loving themselves fully. And that's why we try and, you know, we go down these different roads yeah. and I think it all, what we're trying to do with young people is just guide them back to themselves, yeah. like the power within themselves to fully love themselves, to discover who they are. Well, yes. I mean, there is this need, you know, that we all have, I think, to be perfect in the eyes of others. Um, but there's also the part where we're afraid to come to terms with who we are, because maybe we're afraid of what we'll discover if we do that, if we go in too deep. Like, what if I'm inadequate for myself? You know, what if I'm not as special as, you know, and I, as I purpose myself out to be, you know, and for young people, it's all about that. It's about this image that they project mm -hmm. to others. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so I think people are scared to discover that. You guys are doing a great thing because you're helping people, I think, anticipate that and young people anticipate what's coming in the real world. Yeah. Whether it's partying, whether it's a job going nowhere, mm. that's the real world that they're going to grow into. Mm-hmm. Um, but how to prepare them for that. No? Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me a little bit about this academy because I think it's really, really cool, obviously. And, you know, you, you came together, you set it up. Like, what has been the biggest takeaway from it? Like, what, what do you like most about it? Well, the aim of Wolf Academy is to inspire and empower young people to connect with and become their true selves. Mm-hmm. And we do that through in-person talks and workshops. We have a suite of online programs as well. Eight different online programs actually kind of, they hit health and wellness from different angles because not the same thing works for everyone. Yeah. Um, and it's been fantastic for us and for the people that we're going into. Like it's, um, we're constantly learning constantly growing Um, and that's what we're trying to emphasize I suppose to the students it's it's just about that continual learning Um, like we we guide them in practices that we use ourselves so for example the best not the best like a very beneficial way to start your morning because um, Cormac talks a lot about goal setting and visualizing for your future and stuff so the best way I find with anything is to work back from that. So it's like, what can you do monthly, weekly, daily, even right back to what can you do in the morning to set you up, to do your daily tasks, to reach your weekly goals, to reach your monthly goals, to reach your biggest targets. Do you know what all comes back to looking after yourself? Because if we're not looking after ourselves, mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever that is to you, then we're not going to show up at our best for anything we do. There's also then the benefit of if the students start doing it, some of their family members, siblings might do it, parents, like it has this kind of a a spread that we've noticed. Um, But I suppose my biggest takeaway from it is how how much a lot of students want it. Now, they won't say that in front of the whole class. We're working with mainly 15 to 19 year olds, but how much the students get from it and we know that from our feedback we get because like you said everyone wants to fit in and give off this image like that's huge now like when we were growing up it was only the generation before but we were only competing with say your school or your town or whatever now you're competing with the world with social media so it's like people just don't want to stand out and be different at that age uh which is understandable that is not their fault you know it's not their fault but I suppose it's what we're giving them is things they can do by themselves. So if they feel interested to do it, then they can. And eventually we want to have our own building because we know from our own personal experiences that the off-site retreats are days out mm. in a different environment than your standard normal one. That's what's real transformational. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know, that's, that's what people remember. Yeah. yeah, like we're doing what we're doing, but we're doing it in the same environment where they're learning maths and business and whatever else it is. But um, yeah, I suppose the biggest takeaway is how receptive the students have been and the teachers. People say, get comfortable in the uncomfortable. I was comfortable in a horribly uncomfortable way of living, but I was comfortable there because that's all I knew. And with, say, men speaking up about how they're feeling and stuff, 
I think that there's part of our body, so that we have our conscious mind, our unconscious mind. I think there's part of the unconscious mind that knows by, say, doing different type of work on yourself that a change might happen. So your body starts rejecting that. If you think about doing it, your body starts rejecting that with different anxieties or things like that to, to keep you from changing. So you're up against not just the stigma that's out there, but yourself. You're up yeah. against yourself wanting to stay as you are. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought, brought that up because I did want to talk to you guys about just men's mental health and the like the, how difficult it is for men to open up. And that, you know, I, I told you guys earlier, I'm from Mexico. It's, it's very much a macho society I'd say so, yeah. where there's expectations of how to behave if you're a man. And so to admit that you want to cry they want to open up there's so many like jokes about it like oh you're mm. oh well you're going to cry like a girl you know and there's so much implied in that statement that it's a bad thing mm. but that also only girls cry yeah so if you hear that from an early age you know where are you going to tap into that you know it happens naturally and yet you you have to hide it anyway if you're a guy who does want to you have to hide it from your friends from your mates right so you know, where, where, where can we start? I mean, how has it been for you? Like, I, I want to ask you, you guys are opening up about it. How are people responding when you do? Do you still get flagged for it? Like, oh, you're weak because you're opening up. No, or are so people, you know, really appreciating it? People do. Do you want to take that? Yeah, I think. So I, I probably cry once a week, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> um, once a week, once a day. Once a day. <laughs> I cry now. Um, <laughs> but like, like I actually went years without crying from maybe I'd say secondary school till when I was I think finished college yeah so like maybe like six seven years anyway I think without like you know a proper cry mm. and it just happened one day when I actually was I went around with one of my friends we delivered some pizza to people on the streets who were homeless and um, just coming up to Christmas. And I remember coming home that day and just going down to the shop and thinking about one of those people on the streets. And I just burst into tears. I sat at the bottom of the stairs of my apartment building and just cried like I'd never cried before. And it was probably just years of tears that were built up. But I had this, like in school, secondary school, I was like, you know, probably regarded as like a tough fella, like yeah. went to the gym and stuff and yeah. would have gotten a few fights. Uh, but like inside it was weak. You know, like emotionally, I wouldn't have been able to take a verbal assault, but I could handle myself in a fight. But now I think, I personally think it's the biggest or the most courageous thing to do is actually feel your feelings and yeah. allow yourself to feel it fully, which sometimes means crying, sometimes means laughing, whatever that is, just let those feelings come through you. And I think a lot of the problems we have, um, well, I'll just speak for men at the minute. As men, anyway, if we're having these feelings and we're blocking them off, they're getting lodged in our body somewhere. Um, that can result in pain. Daryl had a lot of lower back pain. That was all emotional. Mm -hmm. um, I have certain issues with my actual my knees as well. Apparently, there's some stuff trapped in there. But like it, it manifests in the physical body. Obviously, in addictions and stuff like that, we're not feeling these things. We're just pushing them down. You're you're doing work a lot of you know 
psychologists talk about as well. It's acknowledging feelings, tapping mm. into them, and then using that to change your behavior. Or something. Yeah, you have to like, feel it to heal it. it. Yeah, yes. exactly. And you're yeah. applying it like day to day. And like that's what you're saying of, you know, giving kids the tools, because it's not just about thinking, oh, I need, you know, six to eight weeks of therapy right now, and then everything will be It's a lifestyle. Yeah, it's a lifestyle. And you were talking about this in a, a podcast um, that um, we were listening to. Um about, I think you use the tree analogy of, you know, like, you, yes, you have the tree that's beautiful and up high, but it's got these roots down below, right? And so there's the good and bad, the yin and yang, the light and the dark. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to realize that it's it's not all going to be up here. Because if you fixate on that, then when it gets bad, you, you ignore it. You're like, yeah, yeah. it's it just comes out in other ways, what you're saying, right? Like, yes, the biology, the stress of it, but then the violence of it, mm. because you don't realize why you're feeling like that so i mean i really like that you that you guys talk about that a lot mm. you know you can't have light without the dark no right? definitely not like there's that, that a lot of our growth is in our shadow mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and having i suppose the courage to go in there and have a look you know and you said how was it received with the vulnerability and the honesty and stuff people follow that because for example at the circles we do, um, if, like, and I've been in many different circles over the last while, and when somebody is open and honest, it it allows mm-hmm. other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's... All it takes is one. That's yeah. it. It only takes, again, it's like everything. It has that ripple butterfly effect. Yeah. Now, you have the academy and it's awesome. We're talking about men's mental health as well. And... I would also mention that in our experience, for example, with digital solutions and these programs, digital, it ha- it does help men as well because of the, you yeah. know, the, the, they can tap into these emotions without the stigma that comes from walking into a, let's say, mental health center and, you know, mm-hmm. coming with the label that I've got depression or anxiety. And it's yeah. a way in to tap into these things mm-hmm. because for men, it's still, you know, this is a big issue. It's like, I yeah, I mean, I yeah, I want to talk about it, but maybe I don't want to let the world that I'm talking about it just yet, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's fair, again, for, you know, for like for you guys clearly, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to have a good cry myself. Really? Um, but for a lot of men, you know, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so there, there are now these new avenues um, coming along and uh, from what we've seen um, men do just as well than, than women in terms of you know recovery and things like that so you know I think that's that's important so guys you you have a podcast of your own um, it's called uh, Wolf Brothers the Wolf Brothers yeah. the Wolf Brothers and uh, I've listened to a couple myself it's really cool um, can you tell me a little bit about the response that you've gotten to the podcast um, and how it kind of came about um, and, you know, the, the community that's built around it and, and where it's headed next. The podcast idea came, if South Comic had been on a radio station and the woman interviewing us, thought that it'd be pretty cool for us to do a podcast together. Mm-hmm. Um, she thought people might be attracted to what we had to say about men's mental health. Um, that's the main focus of it. Um, now it goes off on different tangents, like everything and, um, so we ended up going off on our own like we just decided to do it by ourselves um, and it was just a side thing at the start but it's led us on an incredible journey chatting to different people 
it was for a while there, it was one person was leading into the next. And it was actually like we were on a, a journey. Um, it was incredible. Um, and you learn so much from the different people you speak with. And in terms of response, I do get quite a lot of responses from the podcasts. Um, mostly women, actually. Um, I know it's aimed at men's mental health, but I think women seem to really resonate with the honesty, which the men do as well. But I suppose maybe uh, women are just more inclined to, to reach out. You know, um, now men do as well, but it's always around the honesty, mm-hmm. the honesty and the vulnerability. That's mm-hmm. what's ninety nine percent of the time. It's about that. Yeah, that that's really cool. I mean, and that you know, we're talking about stigma around talking about mental health for men as well, for men, obviously. Um, but if you talk about it and reframe it as you know, it's about being honest with yourself, then maybe that's the way they go through that door. It's like, okay, let's start being open and honest, you know, stop, you know, never mind the labels, mental health, like, you know, mm. no, it's just, yes. you know, it's being honest with ourselves and with each other. No? Mm. Um, how has it been for you, Cormac? Yeah, I think that's such a great point to be honest with yourself. And I think when I started, say, this journey of looking inside and opening up, I I didn't, I still struggle to be fully honest. As Dara said, it's like a journey, you know, it's, you start small and get more and more open. But I, I started with a journal. I just started writing down, I actually started writing poems. I was like, I just, I hadn't wrote since I was in primary school at the time. I think I was in work when I was miserable in work. I just started writing poetry. And next thing I was writing, I was journaling every day and I was just writing down how it felt. And I was trying to make sense of it all. And, that for me, I was like, this journal is my one place I can be fully honest. And no one's going to read this journal. And I think you really have to keep that in mind. Because like, sometimes you're still writing a journal. Bullshit. Yeah, you're like bullshit oh, yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah. who are you trying to lie to? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, no one's going to read the journal. Yeah, yeah. So, so I still think, oh, maybe someday they'll find my journals when I'm dead. But like, who gives a shit then? You know, it's try and be fully honest with yourself. Just expressing through writing. Now, that worked for me. Mm. Other people maybe prefer to talk straight away. I just had to do that step before, you know, then I could start being more open. And especially in like my relationship now with my girlfriend, I think that those years I've done of journaling and introspection really allows me to be open with her and just share how I feel. And because I don't have such an attachment to those feelings, I'm just like, Jesus, I feel like this right now. I feel jealous right now. I, I've said that to my girlfriend. Oh, geez, you said that, that made me feel really jealous, which is, again, something we wouldn't want to do a lot of time as men because it makes us look weak. But I'm like, well, that's not who I am. That's just a feeling running through me. So I think it's, yeah, whatever way you can get into it, just ease into it and just try and be more open and honest. And as Dara said, it just makes you feel free. Um, and another thing I wanted to uh, chat to you about is um, I was I, I did another podcast about athletes' mental health, and one thing that I that I had noticed is that a lot of athletes were coming out and talking about their mental health, right? Which was good because it's not just about being physically fit but mentally fit. But all of them were women up to that point: Simone Biles and you know Naomi Osaka, Venus Williams. Blah, blah, blah. So I had noticed that you know where are the men coming out and talking about it. I saw that Nick Kyrgios, the Australian tennis player, mm-hmm. um, actually opened up about his mental health struggles, and he was saying, you know, you saw that I was you know doing okay, although he's kind of gets angry on the court quite a bit. But he said that you know behind the scenes he was suffering mm-hmm. anxiety, depression. He was in a dark place. 
Do you think that the narrative is is changing? Do you think that there's a shift now? Like, are we in a kind of before and after stage where men will, you know, use these examples, guys like you, to, you know, in normal conversations, talk about how they're feeling sad? I I definitely think there's a shift happening. Mm-hmm. It definitely is, because what you said there was kind of funny because I was thinking about it. Um, yeah, we create these spaces for people to open up and express. But it's, I hope that it, it does become a thing where it's more of a normalized conversation. It's like you don't necessarily have to be in a circle around a fire in a forest mm-hmm. with us to, to open up. It can be in a normal day-to-day conversation. It's, but we are so conditioned to just say we're fine. Like, it's not even that we're lying or bullshitting. We're just, it's, it's like a, a program, it's like a computer nearly. Mm-hmm. Do you know? It's like, so that's what you need to rewire. Someone said this to me, and it's like, we are trying to now, what everybody's kind of doing, like a lot of people are doing work on themselves. We're trying to unlearn, to relearn. But we're so ingrained we're so ingrained in certain patterns that it's 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 a long task. It's never ending, really. Do you know, it's just const- it's becoming more aware of yourself. And when you are, like, say, someone asks you if you're fine, being aware that you've just said yes, even though you're not, and then maybe doing something about it. And like Cormac said, those tr- um, patterns and triggers they just become less powerful over time. The more you become aware of them. But see with someone like that tennis player opening up and a lot of people will know him. Again, that's the same ripple effect that will allow others to do it. It's just, it's a collective thing for the whole world, really. It's like just more people do it and it'll have more of a knock-on effect. Right, yeah. We're so results-focused, like probably in society in general. Like what's, like did we win or did we lose? It's not about are you enjoying the process or how are you feeling? Like that doesn't really come into it. Um, and I played you know, football for years. Actually, just this year, I said, I'm not actually going to play anymore because I wasn't really getting what I wanted from it. But yeah, it's like you just, you don't show any weakness. You just, you know, be a warrior on the field. And in fairness, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a warrior on the field. And like, you know, that's kind of what we, like that's another part of, you know, masculinity that we, we should embrace that warrior, that courage, strength, I think that's important to recognize that because that's when what makes us feel more connected to ourselves as a man. It's just, yeah. And it's just not overcompensating and having none of the feeling side. So it's just like getting that balance. I don't think it's, you know, toxic in any way to be, to want to be strong and courageous as a man. And like sport can, can give you that kind of sense of like, you know, you're working with a team together to try and win this battle. In, in a sense. Um, so I think there's no wrong with that. It's just the other side of it is where, you know, it doesn't allow for that um, softening of like how you're feeling or whatever. But I think it's, it is that creation of those spaces. Um, like you mightn't, it would be great if, you know, things start changing and they probably will slowly, like where you do start just having a normal conversation. It's like, I'm actually not feeling great. Um, do you mind if I talk to you for a few minutes about it? But I think, for me, just coming back to the point you made about the isolation, I think that's so huge because no matter how many circles I've been to, and every time I go to a circle with the lads, I'm like, oh my God, everyone, sh-. whenever someone shares something, you're like, oh, I noticed that in myself. It's like, I am 
you are in me, I'm in you, we're the same. And you don't feel alone. You're like, everyone thinks like, you know, feels shitty. Cause when you're looking on social media, you just naturally think everyone's doing fine. Um, it's actually only when I go out, I take breaks off of every now and again. And then I start actually seeing people like in real life. I'm like, they're actually not fine. Um, so I think that isolation piece is huge when you just connect with other people. And then I think the other thing that when you said, um, do you think mental health is becoming more normalized or like, you know, people like this fella spoke up on this, these athletes, which is great. But in my head, I'm like, we all have like shit. It's not like just that tennis player. I'm like every single yeah, human. Of course, yeah. But that just the way I think about it, it's like, I used to think I didn't have any mental health problems. We don't really like using that word too much mental health. It's, I think we just think it's general uh, health and how you're feeling well-being maybe. Again, well, it's all connected, know, but, right? Yeah, it's all connected. Physical, mental health. Yeah, but I think we're like, everyone has stuff and it's just important to, for me, what really grounds me is just remembering that I am not my thoughts. I'm the watcher. So like, you know, today when this morning when Cormac was being grumpy, I was watching him and like, why, like, where is that coming from? You know, I think the, <laughs> the problem, the main problem with mental health is that we think we are our minds and we're so caught up in the anxiety and the, the pain of it all and the thoughts and we're like, Jesus, what's wrong with me? And why do I feel shit? And then, so yes, you have to feel it. But if you can, try to remember that you are the watcher of your thoughts. And that's why we meditate, like meditate or whatever. It's just to separate yourself. Um, because you know, there is a, there is a watcher. If you say, I, um, I don't love myself, for example, like who's the I and who's the myself. There's two separate things there. So you are the watcher of yourself. And I think that's such a, for me, that's what really allows me to do this work on myself because I can look at the, the really dark parts of myself, the shadow, as Daryl mentioned, and not judge it because I know I'm not that. I'm like, okay, Cormac, that's part of you and you have to love that, yeah. that part. But it doesn't define you. It doesn't define Neither you. Neither the good. Like you're not this no. like happy-go-lucky party yes. who's like out everywhere. You know, I have, I have, I, I have sort of have that reputation. Oh, you're always there. You're always out. You're always there. So then when I'm not there, like, you know, is anything wrong, right? Mm, yes. No, it's just another side of me that yeah. sometimes you don't see. So we're all, we're all this. And um, so, I mean, you know, uh, this is great. I think the main thing that you guys do is just creating that space for people to talk. When people are allowed the chance to talk and be listened to, amazing things can happen because, and it's a win-win. You were saying to me earlier, like, it's so cool to hear people's life stories. Because you connect with them, but it's also just inc incredibly rewarding. I've always thought that if you ask someone about their passions in life, about their thoughts, their feelings, it's the most rewarding thing. They'll open up to you immediately. Um, so that's great that you're doing that. And, you know, I think that can only grow. Um, I want to talk, just, just bring it full circle. And again, you guys were fortunate. You, you were in a place where you know, it was the dead end or like, you know, you could have one slight, you know, misdirection. It could have gone worse, but you, you came back and you're doing these great things. How can we prevent or help, pe you know, people from not going down that dark path continuously? I mean, suicide, for example, is in mental, in men's, in men is, is a big issue. Like if we have a kid out there who's got severe problems 
what can we do as a friend of that kid, as a family member to bring them back to, you know, help them tap into that side of themselves? Like, what, you know, what, what can we do as a society, as friends, as partners, as family? You know? What I would do personally, if I knew someone, I would go down to them and I bring them for a walk outside in nature mm. and talk. Um, and just allow them to talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. I wouldn't press the, the issue, but I just, just to get them outside and walking because that alone, outside, if it's like a forest or something ideal, um, that alone will help straight away if they can do that every day. But I would, the importance of expressing what's going on, like one conversation could be huge. Um, one conversation because when we're holding all that stuff in, so if anybody, because I've been suicidal myself plenty of times, and it's because I'm holding so much stuff in, you, there's not even a particular thing. It's it's all of that emotion going, f- flying around inside this body. It needs to come out. And just by talking, that can help. And just... Like, obviously, I would advise the person then to to speak with someone, but it's that is the main thing. Express what is coming up for you. Because if we don't do that, it comes to a point where things like suicide happen because, um, and they do say it's like a very spur of the moment thing. Do you know, it's like, like, I remember for me, one particular incident, just when there was so much emotion building up and I was feeling like that, but I, I actually beat the shit out of myself. Do you know, I like destroyed my face you know i did it numerous times but i remember the first time and it was because there was all that emotion in there that wasn't being expressed so for anyone that was struggling in that way get outside and go for a walk or just even if getting outside can be too much for someone at that time just speak to someone speak to yourself write in a journal get whatever's in in going flying around in your head get it out in some form or manner and then speak to someone about it because I medication has its time and has its place and stuff like that, but there is so much stuff that are here for us to help us, like like nature, like exercise, breathing, healthy eating. Like there's so many things that can be done, small steps that can be done to to take someone out of even the darkest hole. That, that's great and like yeah I mean uh, I think you put it perfectly Cormac too is there yeah any- I think Daryl really put it really well there I think on that piece if you wanted to help someone it's being able to really as Daryl said yeah try to get them to talk to you but you have to be able to really listen and not put your judgments on them not try to give advice and I struggle with that as well like for the last couple of years I'm trying not to give advice I'm just trying to listen because you might have all this knowledge, but all they want to be is heard. Um, so when you really listen and not even just to the words, to their body language, their expressions, looking them in the eye and just holding that space, that's all you have to do. Um, yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's one thing I would say on that too, one thing to add to that, and that's if somebody does not 100% want help or want to change, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can help, you can guide, you can advise if you want, but if the person does not want to change, it might work for a period of time. And maybe in that period of time, they might get the motivation to 100% want to change. But unless it's a 100% commitment to 
um, to change their life around or to have a new perspective on life or whatever it is, whatever that person needs, if they're not fully committed, it won't last. Um, and I just, I just know that from myself and from so many people I met through treatment, like so many are dead now, so many, and they just didn't want, they just, that's why I often wonder, do, does everybody need to hit their rock bottom? But they don't, they don't. That's definitely not the case. But for some people it works, just hopefully it would be great for people to get introduced to this. That's why we're in the schools, like get introduced to this kind of stuff early, be sitting with yourself and being because yeah, yeah, it won't stop challenges, but it might not, the challenges might not drag people down as much mm-hmm. if they have different things in place and they, they're a bit more aware of themselves. Yeah. You're giving people tools that they can use later in life. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what we try to do too. It's, you know, it's not necessarily in the moment that you'll use them all, but it's, you know, like you might, you never know, you never know why, when, when you might need yeah. this, you know, it's, it's just been great talking to you both. Um, again, I think what you're doing is, is really cool. I'm sure so many people appreciate it. Um, I think it was just a pleasure to come in and chat to you and, um, yeah, really appreciate having us in. And, yeah. Same. Pleasure talking to you. Right. I really, really enjoyed it. My very special thanks to my guests, Cormac and Daryl Noonan. Remember, you can find the Wolf Brothers podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Further information and support on the topics discussed today can be found online on the NHS Mental Health website. Online support and programs are also a great way to begin to talk about and treat mental health as they allow for space to work through your difficulties in your own schedule and terms. SilverCloud Health has a wide range of programs which treat all ends of the mental health spectrum. More info can be found on our website. To hear more conversations surrounding digital mental health, you can also listen back to previous episodes of CB Talks. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back next time looking at another way in which digital technologies are involved in mental well-being, as well as dealing with the important issues surrounding behavioral and mental health. I hope to see you then.